The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. Today's passage comes from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. If you're looking at the Black Pew Bible, you can find that on page 792. Please stand with me as I read God's word. Mark 8, verses 22 through 25. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is God's word. Well, we are trucking right along in our sermon series on the heart of talking about the heart of making disciples. We've defined and is sought to have defined what we mean when we talk about making disciples, maturing disciples, and multiplying disciples. Then last week, we zeroed in decidedly on this idea of making disciples and then began to lay out a path. And we began talking about last week just the idea of being intentional, wanting that gospel intentionality, recognizing that we're not talking additional but intentional and seeking to walk in ways that are intentional, highlighting the importance of one. And so this, way, this morning, what we're going to do is recognize why it's not just the importance of one, but also the absolute necessity to see the importance of prayer. So this morning, the sermon title is just simply called Everyone in Prayer. If everyone with one was last week seeing the importance of one, we want to highlight the necessity of coupling together why it is crucial, so crucial for us to pray and to have everyone in prayer. The main idea that we're going to see out of this unique uh, healing miracle in Mark's gospel is this, is that everyday disciples pray. We're called to pray. We own prayer. We lean into prayer. We grasp and cling to the absolute necessity to pray. Why? Because we need Jesus to open spiritually blind eyes. The Bible will talk about those not saved, those outside of Christ, those not in Christ in a myriad of ways. Talk about them being in spiritual darkness, needing to be brought to spiritual light, being spiritually dead, needing to receive spiritual life. And another way the Bible will talk about those not saved, not in Christ, those not trusting in Jesus as their Savior is through the sight language. Recognizing that to not know Christ as Savior is to be spiritually blind. And what we need is for Jesus, by his power, is to open spiritually blind eyes so that people see their need for Jesus, repent of their sin, turn from their sin, and turn to Jesus as their Savior. So we're stitching those ideas together this morning, recognizing that as we go as everyday disciples who are called to intentionally confess Jesus in 
everyday lives in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and the places of restoration in our city, the places of recreation where we rest and hang out in our neighborhoods and in our city. We're consistently leaning into the intentional nature of it, but as we're leaning into the intentional nature of making disciples, we also recognize that we do not have the power to make that disciple. We need Christ's power. And thus, we pray, going to him, begging him to do only what he can do. That's what I think we're going to see in this little healing miracle that we find in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Every day, disciples pray, lean into prayer because we need Jesus to open spiritually blind eyes okay so i'm going to pray i'm going to ask for the power of the holy spirit to help us not only see jesus in this text but to help uh, ask for the spirit's help to open our minds to understand what's here so that we might grow and mature as disciples who make disciples okay so let's go to the lord in prayer let's pray and then we will get into the text father we need you to do what you delight to do, which is save sinners. Our aim is to see Christ magnified as the Savior of sinners. And so we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would move through the preaching of the Word right now so that we would go out of here further confirmed, further convicted of the absolute concrete need to be men and women who pray while we confess. Lord, I'm asking that today would be a day where you change the cultural air of how we approach prayer as this Jesus family. That today prayer would move from that thing that we just sort of do by accident when we find ourselves in dire straits to the thing we do because we absolutely need it. It's crucial as breath in our lungs is to life that you would convince us of the absolute crucial nature of prayer in the life of the saints. Lord, concretize this. Make it firm. Make it a foundation upon which we come to and say we must be a people who are banking the hope of making disciples on Christ's power to open spiritually blind eyes. And thus we pray. Lord, would you start a tidal wave of men and women convinced of this as a disciple of Jesus? I must pray. Lord, do this through the message today, ultimately, so that the message would land on our hearts in such a way to where Christ would be magnified and faith would come to rest in him and him alone. It's in the name of our King I pray these things. Amen. 
Well, as I said, what you hear us say every single Sunday, the gathering pastor will get up, and if we don't say it any other time in the sermon, you hear us say it at the end of every sermon that we exist to make mature, multiply disciples. And in this sermon series, we've zoomed in on what it means to make. We've touched on the first step in the path. We're using that path language, saying that this isn't the only way to run at this, but this is the delta way. We're trying to define the delta terms and the delta thoughts so that you know what we're calling us to run, run at as a Jesus family. We begin with the idea of gospel intentionality, highlighting the importance of one sinner to God. That was the lost sheep parable that we saw last week from Luke 15, Jesus's interactions with we Zacchaeus. Sycamore tree, Jesus slowed down and sought Zacchaeus. But this morning, we are highlighting again that indispensable step in making disciples the importance of the prayer. Now, the question that I'm seeking to ask this morning and answer this morning from this healing miracle in Mark chapter 8 is this question right here. When it comes to making disciples, why is prayer so important? Like, why do we even need to consider prayer in the pursuit of obedience to Jesus' call to make disciples? Or to ask that question in another way, we could ask it like this. Why is it absolutely crucial for everyday disciples to, dis- to saturate their disciple-making with prayer? To saturate it, to drench it, to soak it. To lean into it just as much as we need to breathe and have oxygen, like we say, the process of the breathing in and out nature of making disciples. We, we have to be men and women of prayer. The answer to these questions has everything to do with our absolute inability to open spiritually blind eyes. You don't have the power. I don't have the power. Any more than someone could walk through the door physically blind, we're not the ones with the power to heal that blindness. Jesus is the one who can, and Jesus is the one who delights to do it, as we are going to see in Mark chapter 8. And so Just as that is true, what we need to see is our absolute inability to open spiritually blind eyes. This doesn't stop us in our pursuit of obedience to Jesus when he called us to make disciples. It's just recognizing that the way we go about making disciples, every facet, every aspect of it is continually beckoning us to lean in full dependence upon Jesus. And this idea of prayer is no different. You see, one way the Bible talks about sin-dead sinners is to identify them as spiritually blind because they don't see their need for Jesus. They don't see their need to have a Savior. They don't see their need to have a Christ or a Lord. Thus, they need Jesus to do only what he can do and open their eyes to see their need for him. So this is why as everyday disciples, we must saturate our pursuit of making disciples with prayer. It's because we have no power to open blind eyes. That's the first point this morning. And we see it in verse 22. You and I, the friends of the blind man in this episode, have no power to open blind eyes. In chapter 8, Mark drives this home by giving us ultimately what turns out to be a visual parable. Jesus taught parables 
stories that had points to them. And often he'd go around and say, let me tell you this parable. He would use his words to teach a story so that the story would have a spiritual point to it and we would grasp the spiritual point and apply it to our life. In this episode of Jesus healing the blind man, it's not only a parable with words involved in it, but it is a visual parable. Jesus is going to physically do something in, in front of the disciples so that they can see Jesus not only healing a blind man, but learn some spiritual truths about this visual parable rolling out before them. It's ultimately a visual parable displaying Jesus' absolute power to turn blindness into sight. So if you look starting in verse 22, we see that Jesus and the disciples are rolling into a town called Bethsaida. And Mark tells us that there were some people in that town, and those people brought to Jesus a blind man, and notice what they do. They begged Jesus to touch their friend. They come in begging Jesus to touch their friend. As Jesus and the disciples arrive in Bethsaida, they are met by a group of people who come to Jesus with a singular request. Their friend is physically blind, and they are desperate for Jesus to give him a healing touch. There's just no doubt that these people have heard of Jesus' compassion. And so his compassion to do this, if you know Mark's gospel, this isn't the first time Jesus has healed somebody. They know what Jesus' heart is for the broken. There's no doubt they know what he is able to do. They know that the compassionate heart of Christ has led him to care for the brokenness in people like their friend. So as Jesus arrives in their town, they make a beeline to Jesus, not only hopeful that Jesus will heal their friend, but also armed with something. They come armed with the full-blown recognition that we are powerless to heal our friend and we need someone who can heal him if there's any hope for him. You see, there's nothing. There's nothing like coming face-to-face -face with your absolute inability to do something that will lead you to search for someone who can do something about your situation. When you have a problem that you cannot fix and it exposes how unable you are to fix that problem, you go searching for someone who can fix your problem. For some of us, that looks like a bunch of things. Maybe it's, I'm positive I can fix the dishwasher, honey. And then you go and you lay into it, and then it becomes rapidly clear you are completely, absolutely unable to do so. And what do you do in your desperation? Some of us might need to repent because we lift words uh, to the heavens that aren't wholesome. Um, some of us rapidly learn that we need to call someone who can fix this problem. And for these people... Their friend's problem was a blindness they could not fix. They had a need. They had a heart for their friend. They saw their friend's blindness. His blindness wasn't a, well, you know, some people just draw the short end of the stick in life. That wasn't the case. They saw his plight. They saw his need. And their compassion for their friend 
led them to the place where on behalf of their friend, their desire to see their friend's blindness healed exposed something in them. It exposed the thing I want, I cannot do. I need to find someone who can do the thing that I can't. And that drives them to run to Jesus. They want their friend to see. But the one thing they want, they can't deliver. And it exposes their absolute inability to bring it about. So what do they do? They go to Jesus and they sort of hem-haw around. And they just sort of kick. They're like, well, you know, if you, if you want to. Maybe Noah doesn't say that. It says they begged him. It's a unique word in the original language where it's a strong exhortation. They are leaning in with the full force of who they are, begging and pleading with Jesus to act in compassionate kindness toward their friend so that his blindness might be turned to sight. And really, because this is a visual parable, their example of unable to heal blindness, leading them to run to Jesus is a beautiful picture of what you and I are called to do as everyday disciples who confess Jesus in everyday life. You see, for anyone who's ever shared the gospel with someone, you quickly learn some truths in that episode of sharing the gospel and those conversations with your neighbor or those conversations with your children or your coworker or whatever it might be. The first thing you do is you you come quickly to face the reality of spiritual blindness to the claims of Jesus. You're talking to your friend. You're talking to your coworker. You want them to see Jesus. You want them to know eternal life in him. You want them to know of the grace and the mercy and the sweetness of forgiveness found in a Savior who gave his life so that sinners might be saved. You want them to know that. But as you begin to talk to them, it becomes very clear that there's just a measure of spiritual blindness that blinds them to the claims of Jesus. They just sort of walk away going, you know, I don't know that I really care about this Savior. So you make the claims of Christ, but they don't want it. It's like coming to someone and saying, lo and behold, listen, scientists have discovered a cure for cancer. And they're like, well, that's great, but I don't really care about that claim. Because in that moment, perhaps that person is blind to the fact that they actually have cancer. If you're blind to the fact that you have cancer, you might be maybe moderately low-grade happy that a scientist somewhere has developed a cure for cancer, but it's not until your eyes are open to see you have cancer that all of a sudden you really care about the claim of a scientist's power to have a cure for your disease. But because there is a measure of a spiritual blindness, there is spiritual blindness that has completely blinded people to the claims of Christ, you, you run into that very quickly if you've shared the gospel with someone. The second sort of truth is this, is that your complete inability to make someone see their need for Jesus. So as you're talking to this, this family member, this child, this coworker, whatever it is, you're just in the, the normal rhythms of life. The Holy Spirit has made ways for you to just confess Jesus. It just becomes evident that your neighbor, your child, or whatever, they don't really care about these sorts of things. And then you you're sitting there going, but man, I know what is good. I have tasted and seen the goodness of God's grace. 
the goodness of his mercy. I know the absolute blessing of finding forgiveness in Christ alone for my sin, my guilt, my shame, cleansed and covered by the blood of the Lamb. But I cannot make this friend want this. Anyone ever been there before? Like, I, I know what is good for you. I'm trying to call you to life. And they're just over there like going, oh, like I wish you'd just stop talking. You, you have no power within yourself to make them want this good thing. It's because the scriptures would argue using the blindness language is that sin, dead sinners are spiritually blind. And so they don't see their need for the claims of Jesus. And then we quickly run into our inability to make someone see their need for Jesus. And just as this man's physical blindness was a problem his friends could not fix, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, it's the same with the spiritual blindness of the children in your home. It's the same with the spiritual blindness of that neighbor that you love and would bend over backwards in a nanosecond to show compassion to. It's the same for that family member or that friend or that coworker that you care deeply about. For all our articulation of the gospel, no matter how often we confess Christ, the fact of the matter is that we are doing so to people who are spiritually blind. And because this is true, it explains why we need the divine intervention of a Savior who has the power to say, blindness, you are now sight. Men and women who are spiritually blind need Jesus to heal their spiritual blindness. Therefore, it is good and right to follow the example of this blind man's friends Namely, to recognize our inability to turn spiritual blindness into sight, leading us to regularly and persistently beg Jesus to intervene. And I'm arguing that the way you and I beg Jesus, like the blind man's friends, they could go to Jesus, see Jesus, touch Jesus, and like beg on their blind man their blind friend's behalf, right to the face of Jesus. We have that same privilege, but that privilege looks like prayer today. To persistently, like what we read in some of our scripture readings this morning, the importunate woman who's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm, you're just going, persistent begging, persistent begging, persistent begging. In prayer, Jesus, would you intervene and turn spiritual blindness into spiritual sight. And guess what the good news is? The good news is that when we beg Jesus to intervene, we're not talking to a powerless king. We're not trying to convince him to do something he has no desire to do. To pray in this way, you're actually aligning yourself with the heart of Christ for the lost. And you're coming to him in such a way where you're simply saying, will you come and do the very thing you love to do? And so when we come to Jesus and we beg him to intervene, we're not talking to a powerless king, some stingy king who is 
reluctant to exercise this kind of blindness healing power. No, we're talking to the one who loves to do this, delights to do this, who hears our prayers, but then has the complete ability to answer those prayers, delighting to do so. And so that's what you see when you roll then into verse 23. And what we learn is that Mark shows us that while we might have the inability to open blind eyes, Jesus has the power to open blind eyes. That's what you see in verses 23, 24, and 25 in stark contrast to our inability, in stark contrast to the inability of the blind man's friends, we find Jesus' full, complete, absolute ability to turn blindness into sight. Look what Mark writes, starting in verse 23 in your Bible. He says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, He asked the blind man, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I was listening to this in the car the other day. My son said, if he was blind, how did he know what trees could even look like? I was like, that is a good question. Go call Brady Reader and he'll help you out here. So. No, I said, it must be something along the lines of maybe he was able to see, then somehow he went blind. Right, So he has maybe categories for these things, but the point is he's blind now. He cannot see. Jesus touches him. I see people, he says, but they look like trees walking. And so then Jesus, Mark continues, laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and then he saw everything clearly. Now, At first glance, when you come across this healing miracle in Mark chapter 8, it just lands on us a little bit odd, doesn't it? Like so far, it's been blind man, touch, healed. Lame man, I'm telling you, get up, walk. Boom, gets up, walks. But the fact that Jesus had to lay his hands on him twice makes it appear as if the Jesus juice is somehow running out, right, His healing power wasn't operating at full capacity that day. So instead of being able to get the job done on the first try, he had to take another another run at it, touch his eyes again. But to approach this healing miracle in this way would be wrong to do so because just nothing's further from the truth. It's not like the Jesus power was sort of like, you know, subpar that day and he had to do it twice to make it happen. Remember, Jesus is using this as a visual parable. He's trying to teach something to the disciples and subsequently teach something to you and I. The significance of Jesus healing the blind man in two stages has everything to do with this miracle being a visual illustration for those disciples who are there in front of him. If you know where this is taking place at in Mark's gospel, then what you know is this, that Mark's gospel, which is 16 chapters, cannot like literally be split in half. Chapters 1 through 8, Mark is trying to answer the question, who is Jesus? And over and over and over again, he's continuing to show you this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. He can speak to a storm and it stops. He can tell a a lame man, get up and walk. He is the one who can do this. He's the one who can say your sins are forgiven. This is who Jesus is. The disciples, remember, we've argued two weeks ago, I'm arguing that their three-year walk with Jesus was a walk of Jesus making them disciples. 
walking with them, moving them along the trajectory of unbelief to full-born belief, saving belief in who Jesus is. And so Jesus has been sowing seeds in their life to help them see that this is who I am. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Because if you know your Bible, right on the heels of this healing miracle, Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they're like, well, some are saying you're Elijah, and some are saying you're John the Baptist. And he says, that's fine and dandy, but who do you say I am? And Peter, good old Peter, opens his mouth, and what does he say? You are the Christ. He got to, he's got a little glimpse. He's beginning to see Jesus clearly, but it's obvious that he doesn't see Jesus fully in clarity because Jesus, right on the edge of saying, that's right, I am the Christ, don't go tell anyone yet, because your assumption is that as the Christ, I'm going to come as like a Davidic king, bump Herod off the throne, and rule and reign on some earthly kingdom. But what you need to know is I'm actually here to live, to die, and resurrect from the dead so that the kingdom of God might be established and sinners might be swept in. And what does uh, Peter do? Peter goes, actually, I don't think that's the case. And then Peter attempts to explain the Old Testament to Jesus. And then what happens is he hears this rebuke, get behind me, Satan. So the disciples see some things clearly, but they don't see everything clearly. At this stage in the gospel, they see people walking around sort of like trees. They can see Jesus is the Christ, but he's not quite, they don't quite understand what he came to do. And that's the back half of Mark's gospel. 9 through 16, Mark pivots on Peter's confession and says, if you want to know who Jesus is as the Christ and what he came to do, you need to pay attention to chapters 9 through 16. So it's interesting that in the verses right above this healing miracle, Jesus asks the disciples a series of questions. He says, do you not yet perceive or understand these things concerning me? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And the implied answer is no. At this stage in Jesus discipling them from unbelief to belief, they do not yet fully understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. Yes, their hearts are hardened. Yes, they have eyes but do not see. Yes, they have ears but do not hear. So just as Jesus took the blind man in front of him by the hand and led the blind man to the point of seeing everything clearly, so Jesus was now leading the disciples by the hand to help them see clearly just exactly who he is and what he came to do. Now, for some of us, our salvation story is not quite like this. Our salvation story is like the other healing miracles that we see, where a blind man came, deaf man came, a woman with the issue of blood came, touched, Jesus healed immediately. Some of us, if we had a time of testimony, your salvation story would be the same. Jesus opened my eyes. It was instantaneous. I saw who he is. I know what he came to do. I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and I cast my hope of salvation on him in that moment. 
just like Jesus healed others immediately, he healed my spiritual blindness immediately. But I would also imagine, my hunch is that some others of us would come up into this time of testimony and say our spiritual blindness was healed gradually like the blind man from Bethsaida. Some of us would come up and say it was a long haul of someone loving me enough to come alongside me and walk with me along that very slow journey from unbelief to belief as Jesus slowly and gradually, sort of like the blind man from Bethsaida, opened my eyes and I began to see little things about Christ clearly. I began to see little things about who he is clearly. I began to see what he came to do as the Savior who was going to die on the cross, bear the full wrath of God for sin, and in my place condemn he stood so that if I came to him and placed my faith in him as my only hope of salvation, I might know that salvation. My story was a lot like the Bethsaida blind man. My guess is that some of us would be there, yeah? Less instantaneous, more in stages. That's where the disciples are at. That's where some of us have been, and maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, I think that might be where I'm at. The point that Jesus is making and the point we need to see is that Jesus alone has the power to make the blind see, and that's why we pray, right? Whether it was an instantaneous kind of thing where, like, you just share the gospel once with your coworker and they repent and believe, and you're like, okay, like, boom, God has the, Christ has the power to do that. But then also it just might be those slow seeds that you're just sowing into the life of that child or that coworker or that neighbor or that friend as Jesus slowly brings them to. The point is whether it's the instantaneous or whether it's the more Bethsaidian kind of way, who is the one doing it? It is the Lord Jesus Christ exercising his power. That's the one who's doing it. Friends, this is what you and I need to see this morning. The spiritual parallels of this physical healing are meant to be observed and then applied to the everyday life of us everyday disciples, recognizing that we are called to be beggars. Beggars in prayer, asking Jesus to do only what he can do. Jesus intervened in this man's life opening his physical eyes, proving he has the power to open our spiritual eyes. So no matter how hard they might try, the blind cannot change their sight. No blind man, no blind woman can look to themselves and from within command their blindness to disappear. Trust me, if a blind man or woman had the power to reach within themselves and say, blindness, turn to sight, they would have done it a long time ago. And so what we see is that we need some power from without who has the power to speak to blindness and turn it to sight. And Jesus shows us in this encounter that he alone is that someone. He alone is that someone. We need his divine intervention as we seek to make disciples. And my great longing is that we would be a Jesus family with everyone in prayer begging Jesus to do that. That the cultural air that we breathe would be the cultural air of prayer. In all sorts of ways, but especially the begging prayer 
of, Lord, would you open spiritually blind eyes, begging Jesus to do this. Why? So that sinners in somehow, in some way, at some point in time, whether instantaneously, like Jesus has proven his power to do, or whether it's just that month, week, years, decades of walking with, discipling this person, answering their questions, holding their hand like Jesus, showing them what it looks like, who Jesus is, what he came to do. It took Jesus three years with the disciples. It's okay if it's taking that long or longer with you, but along the way, praying and begging Jesus, would you help them to see everything clearly, just like the Bethsaida blind man eventually came to see. So here's the question I have for us this morning as we put this truth into practice. Here in a few minutes, what we're going to do is practice right now what we just heard preached. The question I have for you is the question I've been asking myself a lot lately is this. Does my life make sense in light of this truth? Does my life make sense in light of this truth? Brothers and sisters, the more I think and grow in these recent days, this singular question, does my life make sense if... Fill in biblical truth that lays before you in God's word. Does my life make sense in light of this truth? This singular question challenges me to fight to align my actions with what I believe. And I'm not talking only on an individual level, but even talking with your pastors of like, what does it look like to align this reality of begging Jesus in prayer? How does it land on us at a corporate level when the saints gather to have some gospel fuel poured into their souls? What does it mean for us on Sundays? What does it mean for us throughout the rest of the week? See, I want our prayer lives to make sense because Jesus has the power to open spiritually blinded eyes. Does Jesus have this power? Yes. Does your prayer life align with that fact? Do you go, Jesus, you've got the power. I don't have the power. So my prayer life is me leaning in that reality and saying, would you exercise your Power that you delight to exercise in those lives. That's a simple question, but it's a heart-probing question. As we saw several weeks ago, does my life make sense in light of this truth? So here's how we're going to close out this morning. Charles is going to come up, and he is just going to um, be playing some music in the background. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to take time to corporately do what we just heard preached. We're going to do this right now. We're going to line our lives for at least five minutes or so to say, let's make our corporate lives as the Delta Jesus people align with the truth that we've just heard preached this morning. We're going to ask Jesus to open spiritually blind eyes so that as opportunities come for us to confess Jesus to our children this week, to confess Jesus to our neighbors this week, to confess Jesus to our family and our friends and our co-workers this week, they will see their need for him and then not to grow weary of doing good, recognizing that it might be a three-year journey like the disciples. It might be a five-year, a 10-year, a 20-year, a lifetime journey of consistently, persistently begging Jesus to do these things. 
So friends, what this is, is a time of corporate prayer. So maybe it looks like this. When Charles begins to pray, I'm going to lead us through some prayer. This is not me praying for you. This is you going to bat in prayer. Do you understand what we're, what we're arguing for here, okay? So maybe it just looks like this. Maybe it looks like you just sitting in your chair with your arms out, uh, extended and your palms up, aligning your body with the posture of your heart, which is this. I am weak. I am needy. I'm not the one grasping power here. I am showing I have no power. Maybe it's just you sitting in your chair with your hands extended, your palms up, in a posture, a bodily posture that matches the spiritual beat of your heart. Lord Jesus, it's not me, it's you. I'm coming to you. Or maybe it just looks like us fathers circling our families around during this time and leading them in prayer. Maybe it looks like some of us mamas or some of us friends and our college classmates or our, just our, our roommates or whatever it might be circling around together to do this. Maybe it actually just looks like you getting on your knees, turning around, uprooting your rear out of your seat and getting on your knees in a humble posture of humility before the Lord saying, God, I am matching my body with the posture of my heart right, right now, which is I am humbling myself to the dust. Or maybe it just looks like you getting up and going to someone else in your Jesus family here this morning and saying, I'm not even sure what to pray. Will you come and pray for me right now? Like, I'm not even sure how to do this. Will you do this on my behalf? See, whatever it takes right now, my encouragement is that we would walk in obedience to whatever the Spirit is leading us to do. So let's let our lives make sense as we beg Jesus to open our spiritually blinded eyes. I would encourage you to begin to do this now. Whatever Jesus is leading you to do, arms open, on your knees, fathers begin to grab your children. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, maybe you're like, well, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, I feel more, more like the Bethsaida blind man in this instance. I'm not even quite sure. Am I supposed to be doing this? Here's what I would encourage you to wrestle with right now. Just ask the question, has Jesus opened my spiritually blinded eyes right now? And maybe that's the conversation you have with Jesus for the next couple of minutes. And ask him to do that. Lord, I'm not even sure how to go about this. Like, I feel like I'm sort of maybe beginning to see people like trees. You know, I'm sort of seeing you clearly, but I need some help. So, Lord Jesus, would you open my spiritually blind eyes? Saints, go to the Lord in prayer. Speak your prayers out loud. Lift your hands. Get on your knees. It is okay to bombard heaven with your prayers right now. Think of one person in your life who is spiritually blind and beg Jesus to open their spiritually blinded eyes. Ask Jesus to heal their spiritual blindness in ways that would bring him the most glory. Amen. 
Ask Jesus to grant you opportunities to be like the blind man's friends who brought them to Jesus. What are ways, Jesus, that I can bring my child to you? My neighbor to you? Co-worker, my family, my friend. Ask Jesus, what is the next step in doing this for my life? Is it just a coffee? Is it just hanging out? Is it just going to a ball game? What is it, Lord Jesus? Would you make this clear so I can obey? Christ, you are the King in heaven. And we lift our prayers to you, knowing that when we pray according to your will, we have the promise that you not only hear our prayer, but delight to answer our prayers. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you right now, would you do what you've shown that you love to do, which is to heal blindness? Would you open the spiritually blinded eyes of those whom you're placing on our hearts right now? And would we just walk away saying, I don't know this, but I'm convinced to the very roots of my soul that begging you persistently to open the spiritual blind eyes of does not annoy you or bother you. It actually puts a smile on your face and delights you because we're just simply asking you to do what you came to do. Jesus, would you do this and then show us how to walk in obedience as confessors in all the myriad ways that that could look like. Help us to neighbor our neighbors, to neighbor our children, to neighbor our coworkers do these things in and through us, Jesus. Why? So that Delta can have a name? No. So that we can have a name? No. So that the church can just grow numerically? No, no, no. It's so that you would receive the glory as the Savior you are. So that you would receive the glory as the Christ you are. That you would receive the glory as the Lord and King that you are. So that sinners saved would become worshipers of the King. That is why we're praying this, Lord Jesus. Lord, use us as instruments of salvation in your hands. It's in Christ's holy name that I pray these things. Amen.